Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and you're very welcome to the show, which is part of the Education on Fire podcast network. I just wanted to take this moment to thank our sponsor, the National Association for Primary Education, who speak for young children and all who live and work for them. This can include parents, teachers, governors and all those interested in primary education. NAEP, which is a non-political charity, works tirelessly to support teachers in the classroom and leads the primary umbrella group of 30 primary subjects associations and unions and gives teachers and schools a voice at governmental level at consultation meetings with ministers for schools. If you'd like your voice to be heard and to find out more information, please visit their website at nape.org.uk. That's N-A-P-E Hello and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place where we share creative and inspiring learning in our schools. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. My name is Mark Taylor and today we're continuing our wellbeing season and I'm delighted to be chatting to Mike Buchanan who's the Executive Director of HMC which is the English-speaking world's oldest association of head teachers. But I first came across him because of his involvement with IPEN which is the International Positive Education Network and I went there first I think two or three years ago to their wellbeing conference and then was invited back again as part of the National Association for Primary Education to their recent one in Westminster and it was such a great event there were so many great speakers so many great things that are really bringing sort of positivity and and wellness in into the education world and i just wanted to have this opportunity to share this fantastic organization and the general background that's really supporting teachers so michael thank you so much for joining us today my pleasure mark so can we start with a little bit of professional background let's give people a bit of an insight in, in the sort of professional history that you've had because I know you've you've been in many schools and you've got lots and lots of experience in education as a whole not just um, related to IPEN. No I, I guess so uh, as you correctly said I currently run the Head Teachers Association in the UK uh, called HMC and that represents um, a relatively small number but uh, some of the heads of the, the leading independent schools uh, in the UK and uh, indeed, around the world, and you know, if you were to name um, an independent school, probably the head of that institution is one of the members who I serve. Uh, and my job there really is twofold. In really colloquial terms, you know, the first thing I do is to help people uh, not to do stupid things, if I can put it that way, and that that may well be uh, politicians. Having an example of that in the UK at the moment. Uh, from my perspective anyway, uh, and sometimes as members. Uh, and then, then the more exciting bit, as far as I'm concerned, uh, but equally important uh, also, uh, is to use the uh, really disproportionate convening power of the people who are members uh, and the organisation itself to bring people together, to convene and connect people. Uh, and that sits really well with the, uh, the International Positive Education Network uh, as well. Uh, prior to that, I've, I haven't been in this role for more than 12 months yet. I'm um, coming up 12 months in a few days' time. Prior to that, I was a head teacher of a um, independent school in the UK, uh, a place called Ashford School. Now, not terribly well known, but I was the head teacher for 14 years. When I took it on, it was a charming, utterly complacent, inward-looking uh, and not very successful uh, school. It happened to be a girls' school. That's not terribly relevant. Uh, and I was invited to merge it with another and create something new uh, and much more 
outward looking, uh, dynamic uh, and modern, if I can put it that way. Did that for four, 14 years. That was a great experience, hugely exciting. I could talk about that for ages. Uh, and then prior to that, worked in uh, schools in London and in the southeast of England. I've been really fortunate to find myself in uh, great schools with great leaders uh, who took the view that I also take, uh, and that is education is the combination of trying to maximize the achievements of the young people and children in the school uh, with uh, developing them as people. Uh, and doing that through um, adults modeling what it is we're expecting of those children and young people. So if you want curious children, then you've got to demonstrate curiosity yourself. You've got to show it um, and the adults around them, be they teachers, support staff or indeed their parents, uh, have got to buy into that approach. And I think that's, you know, that's the nature of real education in my view. Hey, absolutely. And and. In, interestingly, you're also involved in the Chartered College of Teaching as well, aren't you? So is that is that something that you've been able to really sort of impress in that particular organisation? Um, uh, yeah, so I, there's a, probably a theme coming out here. I like to do multiple things <laughs> uh, uh, and to try and uh, bring the same sort of threads and the same ideas to bear in different places. Basically, I'm driven by my ability to influence, I hope, in a positive way, as broadly as I can. So yes, I'm a uh, a founding fellow of the Chartered College of Teaching and in conversation with uh, Dame Alison Peacock, the chief executive there, uh, I, you know, I only help in a very small way. I, again, I try to connect um, her and other fellows around the world so that they can talk about uh, what is the nature of education now and, and even more importantly, what should it be in the future when we're trying to deal with uh, and help young people to deal with all of the uh, issues that they face, you know, uh, not least their own mental health and well-being, um, but also things like climate change and and the changing nature of work, the changing nature of being a young adult, all of those societal issues, which I think are right at the right at the centre of what a, a great education should be. So, yep, Chartered College, I'm involved in. I've been involved in. Uh, uh, helping to guide and influence head teachers, I'm involved in. I also happen to be the chair of a uh, well, so in England, there's a multi-academy trust. It's a group of uh, of um, state-funded schools uh, not far from where I live uh, in Kent. I mean, that's an awful lot going on. But like you said, I love the theme of that kind of um, combining people um, connecting people, having conversations, and I love that cross generation. The fact that you know you're modelling exactly what it is that young people can see and be part of and share, and I think that's such an important factor when, rather than as as I've experienced sometimes with our children as they've gone through the the education system, that sense of of not wanting to be wrong or not wanting to put themselves out there. What you're talking about is almost completely the opposite. It's about you know being everything that you are as a person and bringing that together with all the people around you. I think that's right. And as a head teacher, I, in order to help the adults around me um, understand what it was I was hoping they might be able to do, I coined a phrase called adventurous learning. Uh, and initially, when I said, look, you know, what we're trying to do here is adventurous learning, nobody had the faintest idea uh, of what that meant. Um, so we simply unpacked, you know, what does adventurous mean? You know, take any meaning you like of the word adventurous uh, and any meaning you like of the word learning. Uh, and then indeed, any meaning of the 
combined phrase adventurous learning and and that is what we're trying to do so it's really bespoke to the individual the individual adult and the individual child and it's about uh, uh, encouraging people to take risks measured risks not stupid risk we're not talking about you know um uh, risks with uh, health and safety though health and safety is should never be used as a reason for not doing something um, but measured risks that encourage people to explore and certainly in my time as a head teacher, uh, in one sense, I thought I failed because there was never a challenge that we put to the young people in my school that they didn't live up to. And in a sense, that means we didn't challenge them enough. Uh, and uh, and that was that was our challenge every, every time as adults. You know, have have we found something that really pushes these people, these young people to their limits to the point? Actually, yes, of course, they fail. It, that doesn't matter. Um, what matters is what you do with uh, things when they go wrong. Uh, and uh, you know, I give I give an example where I used to, as you know, all head teachers do, they love talking. Uh, and I used to talk to the young people in assembly uh, each week. Um, you know, as an aside, actually, I was more talking to the adults in the room than the children because the children generally got it. Um, so that was reinforcing messages really to the adults who had to lead it and implement it. But I used to talk about, you know, beginning of each holidays, I used to say, well, look, you know, it, you could use the holidays to sit and relax and, uh, and uh, you know, do whatever you do to relax. And of course, you should do some of that. But you should also use the opportunity just to test yourself a bit, try something new. Um, uh, you don't need to tell people about it, just try it out. I remember uh, August, uh, I think it was you know, August the 12th, I got a text message from uh, one of the students. He was a 16-year-old boy, and he, and he texted me saying, I listened to what you said in assembly, uh, and I'm on the start line in Brighton uh, for my first marathon. And I thought, wow, that's that's fantastic. It's fantastic that he's doing that. He shouldn't have been doing it, of course, because... You're not spent to, not supposed to run the marathon until you're 18, but um, he obviously got around that particular <laughs> yes. uh, issue. And it's so gratifying to have that sort of thing reflected back in how people behave, whether they're adults or or, um, or young people. I mean, I think, I mean, the whole essence of what this podcast network is all about is about lighting the fire rather than filling the pail. And, I, and I, that's exactly um, what you've just been describing there. And I think when you can encourage people to be like that, like I say, whether it's the teachers, whether it's the children within the school um, and, and everyone involved, it, it really makes a big difference. And, and I think from a, a well-being point of view and certainly from my pen, from my experience of, of having been to some of some of the events, it's certainly the sense that you know people often think about well-being in terms of trying to fix things when they start to be going wrong or or, yeah. or a way of, of of that sort of sorting out kind of idea but actually talking in the way that you're talking today and the sorts of positivity that's coming through that's a very um it's the essence really of actually having you on a path which is that sort of growth mindset and that sort of flourishing idea which i think really supports your your mental health certainly anyway rather than it being the other way around i think that's right i i think uh, often uh, when I go to conferences um, about world well-being, it, it falls into the trap uh, of talking about trying to cure mental health ills. Now, I'm not suggesting that's not important. Of course, it's important. But curing something is not the same as ensuring that that people are well placed to deal with issues. Um, 
when it, when they come along. And, and that's really what I mean by well-being. So mental health, really important. And dealing with uh, illness, Ill, you know, mental health illness, really important. But there's a much, much broader picture when it comes to well-being. And in institutions like schools or universities, um, uh, that, uh, that's a, it's a cultural thing. It's your approach as a leader to an institution or as a teacher in a classroom or, or as a support worker. Can I, can I tell you, I love telling anecdotes. Can I tell you another anecdote? Yes, please do. Um, so, so, uh, whereas where I was the head, I, uh, you know, as, as you do as a head teacher, you just sort of give a state of the nation, um, talk at the beginning of each academic year and you hope that it's inspirational, uh, and, uh, and forward looking, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd done five or six of these and I was standing outside the hall where all the staff had, uh, gathered. There were about, you know, 350, um, you know, support staff as well as teachers, everybody, everybody coming together. And I thought, well, I don't really have anything to say. You know, I'll just do the usual stuff of, you know, looking at how the exam results went and what we achieved last year and, uh, and, you know, let's carry on doing what we've been doing. But I was standing in the music department and uh, around me were the music practice rooms. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. We have all these music um, peripatetic teachers, visiting instrumental teachers coming along. And for at least part of the day, they sit there unoccupied. So I thought, OK, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say to all of the uh, assembled staff, not, not having got any money for this nor anticipating any great response but i'm going to say to uh, all of the assembled staff if you'd like to learn a musical instrument then i will pay for it not, not me personally but the school uh, so the school will pay for it uh, and i didn't tell them this at the time uh, the only two conditions i'm going to impose uh, are that you perform at some point um, uh, you could perform to your cat at home. You could join one of the school orchestras. You can create your own band. You can do whatever you like, but you perform. Uh, and the second is that you have your lessons alongside the pupils during the working day. The, re the reason for that was very simple. I wanted students to recognize that learning is not just what you do in a 45 square meter box six times a day if you're in a secondary school. Um, but it's what you do throughout your life. And I wanted the adults to remember how difficult learning is. And it's not a nice linear process that gets you to an end goal. It hunts around and it goes up and down and it takes huge um, effort and resilience and determination. Uh, and sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down. And I had, I don't know, I had uh, 50 or 60 people saying, can I do this, please? Um, and we did it every year subsequently. So uh, over about five or six years, I don't know, 150 or so staff did it. We started with people who'd never, ever had any experience of music before. Um, uh, and uh, and it, it made a s significant difference to the school because it did remind the adults of what it's like to learn. Uh, and uh, And it reminded the kids about what it's uh, like to be a learner as an adult as well. And I remember one uh, one of my colleagues, not a teacher, one of the uh, support staff, uh, a French lady came up to me about a year or so in and she said, Mike, um, I, I like the idea of learning a musical instrument, but do you think I could have speech and drama lessons instead? And I said, well, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Why, tell, me, tell me why. Uh, and she said, well, look, 
Uh, I've lived in this country for 25 years. I've got a thick French accent. I won't try to imitate it. And I'd like to try and get rid of it. I said, OK, that's fine. You go off and have speech and drama lessons and come back in six months or 12 months and tell me how you go on. Uh, and she came back in 12 months uh, and she said that was you know, the one, one of the greatest experiences of my life um, because it's taught me how to be confident in front of other people. It didn't make the blindest bit of difference to her accent, <laughs> but it made a huge difference to her as a person. And again, that's hugely gratifying because all the kids around knew exactly what was happening. They could see what was happening uh, and they just built up and up and up on it. There are dozens of stories like that I could tell. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, and as a professional musician myself, you know, the, the whole music thing is something I'm very passionate about. And and I, I love the fact that the the learning aspect from a teacher's point of view and what that feels like. And, and also, like you said, you know, the not being just involved in a classroom, the fact that it's not about just these few years that you're learning and just that that joint sense that we're we're all doing it together, no matter where you are in the either the hierarchy or or, or even an age differentiation between you all, it's it's something which we're all doing all sort of year on year, and and I think that's absolutely fantastic. No, I agree. I mean, I I spent I I learned the euphonium. Don't ask me why. I learned the euphonium uh, and joined the junior orchestra uh, and sat next to Julia, who was a trumpeter, a twelve-year-old trumpeter. Uh, and uh, that was uncomfortable for her to begin with, particularly uncomfortable because mm. I didn't know what the hell I was doing and I had to rely on her. But over time, she realized, uh, actually, you know, th this is this is how like, real life works. And, and we rely on each other and we help each other. And it doesn't matter whether you know, the person next to me happens to be the head teacher of the school or not. I think it's I think I think that's great. And, I, and it really does. Um, it does inspire me to even more and more to make sure that there's there's regular music going on in every school i think i think it's such an important factor for, for all um, of those reasons it, that we've spoken about music and drama are the keys to self-expression and self-discovery yeah and I, I think that's perfect and that's exactly how i felt as a sort of 11 12 year old boy who suddenly started learning to play the drums it was that kind of suddenly finding your voice in a way that you'd never had the opportunity to before and i think yeah that broad expanse and that exposure is so key Mm. So let, let's talk about IPEN now. Let's talk about exactly what the organisation is, how it works um, across this country and, and multiple countries around the world and, and, and the sorts of things that people listening can really get from it. OK, so uh, starting from the beginning, um, the International Positive Education Network, I guess, is about five or six years old. Uh, it comes out of uh, a, uh, a meeting of, of um, I don't know, a dozen or so people uh, of which I was not one, under the auspices of Sir Anthony Selden, who is uh, now the Vice-Chancellor of uh, the University of Buckingham, but was at that point the head teacher of Wellington College uh, in the UK, uh, and him bringing together a number of leading psychologists, not least uh, Professor Marty Seligman, who's uh, the father of positive psychology based at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, together, they founded the International Positive Education Network, IPEN. And the aim of the network is very simple. You've heard me de describe this uh, already, which is uh, perhaps why I've ended up um, as the chair here in the UK and Europe. Um, so that the purpose of IPEN is to combine uh, maximizing the achievements, including the academic achievements of uh, young people with 
developing their well-being and character. So the image you should have in your mind is a double helix of those two things, achievements, well-being, character, intertwined, completely interdependent. Uh, and doing that on the basis of evidence research and turning that evidence research into uh, implementable strategies uh, in schools uh, and then uh, disseminating that through connecting people. And there are probably, I don't know, tens of thousands of educators across the globe who are uh, connected through IPEN uh, uh, and various countries around the world are at different stages. So it's got too big now to be overseen as a, as a single global organization. Uh, and so there are branches, if I can put it that, that way, regions in the UK and Europe. And that's what I'm uh, overseeing uh, and hoping to, helping and hoping to grow uh, at the moment. There's a very um, mature equivalent in um, Australasia. Uh, there's uh, there's a, a, a growing equivalent in uh, the Middle East, in coming out of Dubai in particular, likewise in the States, in Canada, in South Africa, in China, in Southeast Asia, uh, in other words, um, all over the world, in, in South America. There's some really interesting stuff happening uh, all over the all over the world in those two areas of you know, achievements and well-being character. Uh, and up until a, a year or so ago, there was a biennial conference happened to be uh, in the States, in Dallas, in the first instance, and then in Fort Worth. Um, and I, I went, I have been to both of those, uh, invited by um, Anthony Seldon. Uh, and yeah, there are thousands of people there, all trying to uh, promote this uh, idea of, of a different approach to education. We've coined it positive education. Um, uh, and that is the combination of those those couple of things. Now, in the UK, uh, we are beginning to grow uh, a bigger and bigger network, or the UK Europe, uh, and it's it's uh, a relatively small organisation. So there's me and one or two others currently, um, but the idea is that we grow it, uh, and our ambition is over the next I, I don't know how many years it might take five ten years. Over the next five, ten years, that we have a uh, we grow a network of uh, a million people uh, across uh, the UK and Europe. Um, uh, a thousand institutions who are signed up to uh, a positive education approach, uh, and at least one government that um, puts in well-being as one of its uh, national KPIs. Um, uh, now that might, to your listeners, sound incredibly uh, ambitious uh, and it is so I'm calling people to action to to join me um, over the course of 2019-20 uh, the way we're going to do that is by holding regional uh, one-day um, events so the first of those is coming up in uh, well we've already had one so on the 2nd of September um, I invited Carol Dweck to uh, London to come and talk about uh, her theories and the practice of uh, of growth mindset, uh, and that was attended by um, several hundreds of people, uh, and we had a a fantastic day. And then on the 17th of October in London, uh, there's the first of the uh, regular events, and that will have speakers um, such as Paul uh, Dolan, who's uh, the uh, LSE professor on well-being. 
uh, coming to speak. Anthony Seldon will be speaking. Um, I'll be saying a few words. Uh, and then practitioners who are coming coming along to say, uh, to show what they're doing and how they can do it. So we'll we'll have both keynotes and um, some workshops. Uh, and then we go on a sort of roadshow. So uh, we've got events planned for Edinburgh, for Hull, for Manchester. I think I've just had one confirmed uh, today. Um, uh, somewhere in Scandinavia, possibly um, Denmark or, or Holland, uh, Germany. Somebody from Kazakhstan uh, uh, contacted me a few weeks ago saying, can you count Kazakhstan as part of Europe? I think we probably can. Madrid. Uh, in other words, yeah, probably not quite one a month for the next 12 months or so, where we hope to gather people who want to learn uh, about what we're doing, um, spread the word, grow the network, uh, and talk to me and others about, well, how do we build IPEN UK Europe um, hereafter? And I can talk more about that. Yes, I'm, I'm really interested in, and, and you touched on it, touched on it there is the fact that how that then filters through to changing education that people listening will see inside their schools and their organizations do you think it is that kind of coming together of people and it will just gradually become what people do within the education system because we all know it's what's desperately needed um or do you think it's just that sheer weight of of passion and people that will then change government policy or 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 give us a way that we can reset the whole bar i think it's a whole combination of things uh, of which you've mentioned a couple so i think um first of all uh, i'm looking for evangelists uh who will go out from these events and convert others um, convert others to not just the idea of positive education, but how, how you can go about it. So one step at a time. Here's something you can try. If it doesn't work, then that's fine. But uh, you know, uh, come back and, and talk to us about it. So evangelists uh, at the grassroots level. Um, uh, and then uh, there is already, I think, an alignment in policy thinking in many countries uh, and and including the UK. Uh, so whether you like Ofsted or not, that's the inspection system in uh, England, the new framework, the new approach they're using, which has just started uh, this September in schools in England, uh, is a step towards uh, a much broader definition of education. We, we have in England and probably in the Western world, um, got stuck in the into thinking that qualifications are education uh, and uh, my view and that of lots of people is that qualifications are only a tiny part of education they are not what makes an educated person so so the um, inspection system i think is aligning a lot of the thinking uh, that's happening at regional level and sort of institutional level is going that way as well. So I talk a, a lot to um, the other head teachers unions, not least um, Jeff Barton at the um, ASCOL, the, head, the state head teachers union. Uh, and he and I are exactly aligned in, ter in terms of you know, what does a real education look like? Um, and is it, it is exactly as we've uh, described. Uh, and uh, at government level as well, uh, you can see it. I mean, uh, David Cameron, the, one of the former prime ministers here in the UK, uh, almost got there in terms of uh, putting uh, well-being into 
uh, the national psyche as one of the key performance indicators. Uh, and the people I talk to and Sir Anthony Selden talked to uh, are are pretty much in agreement that this is something we should be doing. So it's a matter of uh, how we get there. All of that, I think, is really, really encouraging. So, yeah, grassroots upwards uh, with some strategic work um, by me and others at a, at a policy level. Um, it all sounds very positive, which is which is fantastic as a, as a network, and the fact that you you start to have a sense that there is this sort of passionate wave of people that are able to show you all those different levels, like you said, you know, in terms of this is something that you can do in your school tomorrow, and at the same time we're also talking about, like you say, policy and and people being able to take all those things on board. So. I, I think that that growing tide of people, I think, is is something which should gather speed um, quite quickly. I, I would hope as well, especially as we get the chance to talk more and more about these things through things like this podcast and, like I say, and and the the conferences and things that you actually put on. So, for people that are interested to find out more and want to get involved, where's the best place for them to go and do that? So, I think probably at the moment the best thing to do is to follow uh, on Twitter. So it's at posednet. Uh, and uh, the Twitter feeds the, is the sort of most up-to-date and, and uh, easiest to follow. Um, at the moment, we have to charge for attendance because that's our only income in order to be able to hire the venue, get speakers when we do have to pay for them, though most of the time we don't have to pay for them, um, uh, and to build up a, you know, a bit of uh, investment income that we can take the organization to to the next level if there if there are any philanthropists out there listening um i'd be really interested in talking to them because i am trying to seek some seed funding um so that we can accelerate the rate at which we go uh and then and the next stage really is to look at how can we provide uh, uh different levels of individual accreditation and the training that goes with it different levels of institute accreditation uh, and the training and quality control that goes with it uh, as well. And and we hope to be able to, you know, start doing that um, somewhere in 2020, I would I would hope. Um, but but in the meantime, have a look at Eventbrite and follow us on at posednet. <clears throat> or you can follow me, if you wish, uh, on, um, this is my, my work um, Twitter. So it's at HMC Executive Director. Fantastic. Well, Mike, thanks so much for chatting to me. It's, it's really encouraging that 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 you that you know that that like wave of positivity that you've been talking about comes across so passionately, and and I can understand um, how, how I guess how the future can can become attainable by everyone coming together, and it and it needs people like you to be able to just sort of galvanise people and, and just show the way and and that guiding light and the fact that we're all involved in whichever level of education we're we're involved at and um it's a very exciting time and i do encourage everyone to check out all those things and they will be on the show notes for this page as well so if you go to educationonfire.com forward slash ipen i-p-e-n we'll have details of all those things on there as well so thank you very much um for spending time with us and really informing us about everything to do with that and i really hope to see you at one of the local events coming soon thank you mark Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. Do you need help and support in creating and embedding music in your school? 
If so, we have created Primary Music on Fire to help you with just this, a music membership site that's taking the fear out of teaching music by giving you the step-by-step skills and ongoing support you need to produce lifelong musical memories for you, your school, and your pupils. Go to educationonfire.com forward slash primary hyphen music.